As we reflect upon your spiritual truths, which are spiritually discerned, we ask that the Holy Spirit, who resides in our hearts, would open the understanding and give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and a heart to do your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Sunday, September 11th, of course, 10 years ago today. 3,000-plus people lost their lives on a day nobody saw coming. Here's a three-minute clip that I found on YouTube. Uh, As the country and the world reflects, really, it's fitting for us as well as believers in the living God, as those who have what the Apostle Peter will call in this chapter, living hope, an inheritance given to us uh, through the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're going to watch this little clip, and uh, we'll all live through the secular song that's playing in the background, (laughs) and uh, we'll uh, we'll reflect on it in this way. Go ahead, Joey. An airplane has hit the World Trade Center, and that's all we know. Today, we've had a national tragedy. American Airlines Flight 11 departed Boston for Los Angeles. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center. Our World Trade Center has been one of their missions. We heard a big bang, and then we saw smoke coming out. Everybody started running out, and we saw the plane on the other side of the building, and there was smoke everywhere, and people were jumping out the window. And now, if you join me in a moment of silence, a moment of silence. Thank you very much. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. People running their hair on fire. People were jumping out of the World Trade Center. Jumping out because they don't know what to do. reported that my brother John was the captain of American Airlines Flight 11, which was hijacked out of Logan Airport. I keep looking at the cornfield behind me, hoping that my brother comes walking on out. People were on those planes that just began their lives like children. My children are like five and eight years old. I think Bobby's still at work. If anyone sees him, then please call us. Uh, please look at the picture and call me. Thank you. Walk blindly to the light and reach out for his hand. Don't ask any questions and don't try to understand. Open up your mind and then open up your heart. And you see the It's getting harder and harder to, to run multiple things. We have a camera that's feeding into overflow and it makes it harder for the videos that we pull up to be shown without interruptions. But uh, 
for the two people in the room that have not been seeing those very clips all week long. Um, we do have a little bit of that that we just seen. Just uh, you cannot watch those um, slides without remembering, and I know everybody remembers where you were standing when you heard or where you were at when the news came to you for the very first time that we had been attacked and that the World Trade Centers were falling down and collapsing. Now, um, here's what Jesus said about such things. When he was asked how the end of the world would come about, he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, great earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, the Lord there in Matthew 24 is warning his disciples and his future disciples that we might be prepared. That is the point of Jesus' exhortations about the end of the world. Here's what he says there, continuing in Matthew 24. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things that he had mentioned, kingdom against kingdom and wars and natural disasters and these things, you will know that it is near right at the door. No one knows the exact date. It will be like the days of Noah. For in the days before the flood, people were carrying on business as usual, planning weddings, going out to eat, going to work. They were clueless right up to the moment the flood came and they were all lost. That's exactly how it's going to be when the Lord returns, says Jesus. Therefore, you keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But get this, if a homeowner is alerted that a robber is on his way over to steal something, he never let that happen. The police would be there. He'd be prepared. So I say to you, be ready, because the Lord will come back when you are not expecting him. That morning on September 11th, I believe it was a Tuesday, people got out of bed, got showered, got dressed, kissed goodbye, stopped at Starbucks for a grande Americano with cream. They had their traditional drinks, cup in hand, headed off to the high-rise offices or to the firehouse or to the police station, to their job at the Pentagon or to the airport to catch a routine early morning flight. But none of them knew it was going to be their last day. And from a Bible point of view, some of them were ready and some of them were not. Interestingly, as we begin a study here in 1 Peter, uh, Jesus and Peter have the same purpose. In fact, chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
And so first Peter, we discover Peter helping Christians who live in a day and age uh, where Christianity is outlawed, uh, Christian life, uh, folks are hostile to Christians. It's 64 AD. Nero has blamed the fire on Christians, and Christians are tossed into uh, auditoriums and fed to the lions for entertainment. This is what Peter is preparing, of course, the Holy Spirit through Peter, preparing these Christians to face times when the walls come crumbling down. To be a Christian in Peter's time meant facing uncertain and unpleasant experiences from the surrounding world. So he's opening his letter here. This morning we're looking at it, reminding believers about how good they really have it. The theme, really, of chapter 1 and the all five chapters is the greatness of our salvation and the hope that comes from this and sustains us. And so as we consider, really, the reality of what it means to be saved, I mean, we use that word a lot, Oh, we're saved, or are you saved? And sometimes, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, you forget the profound mysteries and the wonder and the awe of what it means for you to be born again, to have the God who spoke the universe into being, to have said that that God looked down the long corridors of history in the eternity past and set his love upon you personally and chose you and sent the Holy Spirit out with this message, as we learned last week, to the Holy Spirit. Go after that one. In my love, I have selected them to be a part of my family. And the Holy Spirit then is sent and goes to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, the Father loves you, the Son has saved you, he wishes to be your Lord. And because of his kindness to you, you have responded and said yes and come into a living relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ, and through the sprinkling of his blood, which means he shed his blood, paid every last debt that you owed, to God through your sins and falling short and presents you now back to God the Father in perfect peace, in perfect right standing. That's how he opens the letter to just say, you know what? This world may not get you. Nero certainly doesn't get you. Uh, Life is really hard here, but you don't fit in here. But let me tell you, you've got the Lord. And he's got you. And in the not-so-distant future, you will see that all this striving will have been very worthwhile. So we're going to take a look at this morning at this hope that is in us. That as the psalmist says, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though I am besieged by an army standing there, I shall not fear. And also Psalm 23 Yes, even if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? You're with me. The Lord is my personal shepherd to guard me, to guide me, to protect me, to make sure that I'm well. He gives me rest. 
Who is that shepherd? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. No wonder he can say, hey, you know, I have peace because God is for me. Who could be against me? And so these poor folks who are under the gun and in the pressure cooker of the Roman Empire, um, many of them, as I said, Peter, James, and the Apostle Paul will all be martyred in this decade. So it's a tough time to be a Christian. So Peter's going to dive in here with words of hope. Verse 3, where we left off. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pause there and just say, when the Bible speaks of God the Father being the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is in function only. The Father sends the Son and the Son obeys the Father. But the Word also says that the Son existed with the Father from all eternity. So Jesus is not a created being by the Father, even though in our language it may sound, oh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not have a beginning. This is to help us understand uh, how the Godhead works together because God is three persons and one, one being God. And so praise be to God the Father and praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going to pause there for our text. It has quite a lot to talk about. Let me just say this here. Gratitude is what the verse begins with. And gratitude is said to be the mother of all virtues. In other words, from a grateful heart, everything else that's good in us flows. And Peter gives these Christians who are living in tough times in a world that's not their home, plenty to be thankful about. No matter what their current circumstances are, they can be grateful. So really, right from the start here, he sets the mood of hope and of optimism because of their faith in God. So let's talk about the greatness of your salvation in two ways, really, just two points this morning. One is the cause for gratitude, and two is the reason For this great living hope. All right, so number one, what does it mean to be saved? Well, it's cause for great gratitude and thankfulness to God for what He's done for all of us. Peter wants you to see that it's not happiness that makes you grateful, it's your gratitude that will make you happy. Gratefulness to God, really thanking him and praising him, is the one mark that you are truly saved. It's the foundation. It's the tone of our lives. And so he starts off here in your first verse for consideration. Praise God our Father in heaven for what he's done for us. Bless his name. 
And so I just want to park there and just that verse really caught me already about how thankfulness and praise to God ought to be the foundation of our lives. Now, other epistles in the New Testament start with this kind of formula, praising God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the same kind of formula. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he begins the tone of his letter with this wonderful gratitude established, and it should be the tone of our lives as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, praising him through the Father. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Not because of your situation, but because of your salvation. Now, he never says, you know, something bad happens to you. He says, give thanks for that. That's not the idea. The idea is something bad happens. You're still in Christ, able to find something good. Because you're in Christ, you're connected to, to Jesus Christ, who's the heir of all things. You're going to heaven. God is working all things together for your good. And so evidence and a foundation of gratitude says, you know what? Something happened to your soul from God. And when you're grateful to God and praising God, then we know that you're, you know you're indebted to him, that something happened. Now, people who don't have gratitude toward God uh, might not be saved, probably are not. How can God do everything that we've already talked about in your heart and life and you not offer a word of praise or thanksgiving? I told my neighbor once, we were just small talking about this church, and I had mentioned that we had grown from 20 people to four or 500 people. And I said, praise God. And he said, oh, praise yourself. And, and I said, oh, it doesn't work that way, where I come from. <laughs> Praise yourself. Oh, you're selling yourself way too short. I said, no, you don't go from 20 people to a full-on church by yourself. That's God's doing. And he said, well, no, it isn't. Do you work hard? Yes, I work hard, but unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers who build it labor in vain. Oh, no, yeah, you guys, you all want to just praise God, glory to God. And I said, that's because we understand that we are indebted because, listen, God did something in me to change that before that. Before his touch on my life, before I recognized of what I stood to lose... And when I had to gain, and that he took me from a destiny of eternal damnation to heaven above, because he died for me, and when my soul got that, immediately, bing, gratitude, thankfulness to God, praise be to God, Peter says. And that is the tone of our lives. If it is not, then there's a loose connection somewhere. The sinful woman barges in on Simon the Pharisee's home. He's hosting Jesus, and everything is all prim and proper. 
And she busts in the, the scene. She had been a sinful woman. The Lord had set her free in her travels out there. And she busts in. You know the story? She's weeping and weeping and falls at Jesus' feet with gratitude, worshiping him, praising his name. And weeping, her tears fall upon his feet. And she's wiping the feet with her hair. And the Pharisee rolls his eyes. And Jesus says, Simon, I've got a question for you. Two people owed a lot of money. One people, one, one people, <laughs> one people owed $500. The other people only owed, sorry, I'm going to push this all away. <laughs> one person owed 500 bucks. The other guy owed five bucks. And they both got their debt. Neither of them could pay, important line in there. Neither of them could pay back. Who loved him more, the five-buck guy or the $500 guy? And he goes, I guess the one who owed more. Yeah, well, this woman gets it. I forgave all of her many sins. And if he only knew, he was not owing $5, but he owed more than that sinful woman because he was a Pharisee. He knew the scriptures. But he was unaware, and as unbelievers are, he was totally unaware that God had done anything for him. And so there are no tears, there's no kiss when Jesus walks through the door, there's no washing his feet. But there's this response of gratitude and praise when your heart has been touched by the living God. Jesus said it this way, Palm Sunday, they're singing and praising God. Blessed and praised is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisee said, you should silence that praise because that's for the Messiah. And Jesus said, if they weren't praising me, the stones would cry out. It's irrepressible. Even the stones could figure out. Look, we're indebted. We didn't get here by ourselves. There wasn't a big boom and suddenly there we are. But we have our being as rocks because God spoke us into being. Jesus says, the rocks could praise me better than some of you. (laughs) Gratitude is the foundation and the evidence. Praise to God that you stand in a service with your hands lifted up because you know It's more than a hallelujah, Jesus. It's that, wow, God is here. God has saved me from going to hell. God has done so much for me. I was standing there worshiping God. It's more than just words to me. I am thinking. I am reflecting. I am thinking of playing tennis on Friday, this Friday, and I'm thinking this. I saw a woman walking a dog while we were playing tennis, Pastor Nathan and I. And I noticed her walking the dog, and I thought, that looks like, I'm not going to say her name. This goes everywhere now. Uh, That looks like Jane from eight years ago, who used to come to the little Sabood when we were 25, 30 people. So I said, hey, Jane. She came over. She said, how did you remember my name? I said, I'm Pastor Ross. Remember me? She said, oh, yes, I do. Well, how are things now? I said, you wouldn't believe it. You know, we're not 25 people anymore. We're about 500 people. We have, a f- we have one, two, three, four full-time employees. Uh, 
We have a staff. We have deacons and elders. We have ministries. We're a big boy church. (laughs) And her mouth was just like, she said, it was like an AA meeting in there. You know, there were just a few chairs, you know. There was just... It was small. We had nothing. We had no money. We had no staff. We had no pastors. We had nothing. Zero. And now this. I was worshiping God, thinking about that, and it was melting my heart, and it was drawing me in. I was focused. When you praise God, we're saying praise God because, and you are thinking and you are calling up. God, you've been good to me. Look at the family you've given me. Even though I'm in hard times right now, look at the way you're providing for me. Blessed be God. Praise his name. The disciples say to him, Lord, they see him praying. Teach us to pray like that. And so he says, okay, start this way. Begin with a word of praise. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Now that means nothing to us. But what it means is that word, Hagiazo in the Greek. Hagiazo, your name. It means holy, set apart. There's nobody like you. Praise you, God. You are awesome. There is none like you. That's the meaning behind Jesus' model prayer for us. Start approach, as the Psalms say, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And why does God have to command us 250 times? He has to command us to praise him. Because we think it's all about us. We want to be praised. And he says, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to praise me because that's where your blessing and your peace will be. You see, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Approach him with praise. God, holy is your name. There's nobody like you. Let me tell you why. Is that what your prayer life life is like? Listen to what Paul says. You guys should always be quoting from the Psalms to each other, lines from worship courses to each other, encouraging verses, quoting to each other. Always humming a happy tune in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks and praise to the Father in the name of Jesus. Let us all pray as if we're going to hear your prayer Sunday morning through the loudspeakers. Let us hear what you're saying to him. Are you telling him you love him, you appreciate what he's done for you? Do you praise him? Dear God in heaven, I had the opportunity to go in the back of a large church where I was ministering because there was a problem with the sound. And I stood in the back and I noticed during worship time that half the congregation was not engaged at all. Now, true, you never know what's going on in somebody's heart, but you can kind of get a clue by the outside. But you could tell there was talking and And looking around, buying on the nail, looking around, not engaged at all, just kind of waiting for the song time to be over. You are so wrong. 
It's an opportunity that's thousands of years old that is grounded where? In the Psalms. The Psalms are grounded. The people of God have always had God-ordained worship to enter into to corporate time with him. His idea, come in with thanksgiving and praise. It's just not a song time. People think of it that way. Christians. Somebody told me, I always come late because I'm not much of a singer. It's not about your vocal ability. <laughs> it, honestly, I mean, listen to the people next to you. <laughs> Moving on. It's about our hearts. I want to pastor a church where people come in. We are entering into the presence of the God who became a man on my behalf, who looked through the eternity past and saw me and lavished his love and said, that one's mine, and saved me and spared me from going to hell. I wish that I could have somebody resurrected from hell for one hour and say, could you fill in for me next Sunday? And just talk. Talk to them. Because then, my friend, when you come into song time and you realize that you were headed there, there is not one good reason for you to have escaped that place. Not one. Except mercy. Not one reason you don't go to that place except God said, in my love, I will pay your debt. I will become the perfect man. We'll do a little swap. Your sins for my perfection. And here's what it's going to cost you. Faith. Nothing. Then you ought to be singing and not looking at the rafters or checking out your nails or texting a friend or thinking, when is the song service going to be over? Because you realize, my God in heaven... Jesus is real. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and phew, I almost went there. But by the grace of God. Then you got something to sing about. You got something to sing about. But if you don't have anything to praise God about, and you're sitting there in the chairs going, when is this song service going to be? How many times are they going to repeat that over and over again? I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. We are going to sing of his love forever at this rate. If those kinds of thoughts by you don't get rebuked. Everybody has strange thoughts, even me. But you know what I tell myself? I tell myself, shut up. I just tell it the way it is. You can shut up. Have you not ever heard yourself think something that you didn't want to say shut up to? (laughs) Or are you just saying, yes, Ross, it's about time. We all wanted you to shut up. (laughs) All right, I'm going to move on. So, yes, praise be to God for what he's done for us. And Peter's going to give you a few reasons why you can be grateful. 
He says in a paraphrase there, you've been shown over-the-top mercy from God who has completely wiped out all your sins, dropped all charges against you, and graciously let you off the hook for all your offenses, past, present, and future. That's what mercy's all about. In the Greek, it's polus elios, where we get the girl's name, Ellie, mercy. Polus elios, abundant mercy. Here's the definition. You won't like it. No sinner does. Kindness or goodwill shown to a wretched, miserable, poor, guilty, vile person. Based not on any merit of the person, but upon the good-naturedness of the one bestowing the undeserved mercy. In Les Miserables, one of my favorite scenes, the opening scene, the movie with um, Liam Neeson, that version. The opening uh, is uh, he's on parole. He's just been serving 20 years, a monk. A priest opens his home and lets him spend the night and feeds him graciously. He's like a wild animal, scarfing down everything. And he gets to bed. In the middle of the night, he wakes up. And in spite of the priest's benevolence toward him, undeserved, he starts robbing the silver into the sack. The priest comes out. Many of you are nodding. You've seen this. And he socks him right across the face and the priest pass out and he runs. The next morning the priests bring him back. He's got his hood on and he's got a big bag of the silverware. And the priest looks at him. The, pri- the police say oh, sir we've got this criminal. He took all your silverware. And then the priest says, I'm very mad at you Jean Valjean. And he takes off his hood and he says, the police say, but we got him. He said, I'm mad at you. Why didn't you take the candlesticks? They're worth 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Did you forget to take them? And then the police say, oh, you mean he's telling us the truth. Wow. Release him. And the shackles go. And then he says to his wife, apparently not a good priest, (laughs) because he's married, or he's a different kind of priest, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) It's just a movie. He says, he says, honey, fetch the candlesticks. Our friend has lost a lot of time. So Madame Gillo goes and she fetches the candlesticks in the face, the look on her face as she's putting them into the sack. And the guy goes, he looks at Valjean and says, he says, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And that act of mercy changes his life and he becomes grateful to God. He becomes a merciful person now that he's experienced it. Mercy is a powerful thing. It'll get you singing, but it'll get you showing the mercy that you have been given. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of God works. He says, think of it this way. A king wants to settle accounts with his servants. And this miserable wretch racks up a debt of $20 million. He's brought before the king to settle the account. And he's not able to pay. He's ordered and sold 
and sentenced to debtor's prison. He, his wife, his kids, everything about him, thrown into slavery, into debtor's prison. And here's what the verse says. The servant falls on his knees. The Greek word is proskuneo, which means worship. He falls on his knees before the king and says, please be patient with me. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceling the debt, and let him go. Unfortunately, in the NIV, it says take pity, which is nice. The word is, in the Greek, splanknizomai, which means, as I've told you on several occasions, to tear the gut. So it's, it's a word for compassion, and the word in the New Testament is only used of God's compassion that it's gut-wrenching. So this vile, wretched guy who owes $20 million, he has no way of paying it back, has just cries out and says, oh, have mercy on me, I'll pay you back. You know, there's no way he's going to pay back $20 million. There's no way. And because he's just torn in his gut, out of his own benevolent heart, he says, everything's canceled. You're free. Your wife, your kids, you have it all back, and you don't owe me a penny. And then Jesus says, a twist. Then that man went out and found somebody who owed him 20 bucks, and he grabbed the guy by the throat. And he said, you, you owe me 20 bucks. Hey, I'm throwing you into prison until you pay me that 20 bucks back. And then it says the same language. He falls on his knees to the servant guy and says oh please be patient with me I'll pay you the 20 bucks I'll pay you and he says not a chance and throws him into jail well word gets back to the king the king says bring him back here (laughs) and he comes back and he says you unmerciful wretch how dare you I got rid of a lifetime of your debt to 20 million dollars And you find this guy, he goes, get out of here. To weeping and gnashing of teeth, a symbol of somebody who doesn't have a grateful heart cannot know the love of God. If somebody is not merciful or kind or gracious, but is bitter and angry and unforgiving, the Bible just says there's no way you personally could know a God who's just the opposite, who's touched and changed your heart. So he says, boy, he has given you this mercy. Make sure that you're in touch with how much mercy you've received. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Elias, because of his Elias. Second point, because this mercy and this praise leads us to this living hope. My second point and final point is this living hope. It's a hope that springs from the new life that God gives every believer. The Bible says that God gives you new birth. That is to make you spiritually alive. The hope that is living It's not just a secular hope, like cross your fingers kind of hope. Well, I hope for good weather, or I hope everything turns out well. Christian hope is a a sure reality of God's goodness and just waiting in 
expectation for God to bring that good thing that he's promised. It's not a question of if. And so let's talk about that. This essential truth that Jesus talks about, this living hope, this new birth. Now, John 3, Jesus tells this Pharisee, comes to him, and he's got questions about how to get to heaven. And Jesus says, look, Nicodemus, you, you can't get there by being good. You've made a whole lifetime out of trying to keep God's laws and be perfect. But you fall short. You've, you've just got to start all over again. You've got to be born again, or you can translate this two ways, born again or from above. He says, Paul uh, furthers that idea where he says in 1 Corinthians 15, our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood isn't equipped for the life of heaven. Something's missing, and without that something, you'll never get in. And let me just assure you, it's not your good deeds. That won't be enough to cut it. Now, uh, I have an illustration here about the Mariana Trench in the Western Pacific. It's the deepest part of the ocean. It goes down seven miles. And at the bottom, if you were in a submarine, you'd be down there seven miles. And the pressure outside the sub, 15,750 PSI pounds per square inch. In other words, if you went for a swim outside the submarine, you'd be as flat as a piece of paper, all right? The pressure, you're not equipped. The sub can take it, but the human body cannot. When God says flesh and blood can't enter heaven, it means you're missing something. You're missing the spirit. You're missing being born again. You're missing the pilot light was blown out in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. He said, the day you eat of the fruit, you will die. The spirit, body, soul, and spirit present in the garden, our spirit and his spirit is what made us alive. And when we ate with Adam, the spirit died. No more connection with the living God. Jesus comes to relight that pilot light and reconnect our spirit with his spirit, then when you die, you die alive because that spirit is eternal. So it's not about being good. It's about being made alive. The sinner must come to Christ, open his heart, and the Holy Spirit must come into you or you will die. Not about being good, not about doing your civic duty, it's not about how much money you made. doesn't matter how you've treated anybody. Nothing, 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 nothing. Listen, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I was at a mechanic shop, unfortunately, <laughs> this week. I was waiting for my car with another poor soul with car trouble. And he asked me what I did. And I said, calmly, I'm a pastor. And then he made the mistake of rolling his eyes. <laughs> Whenever somebody engages me like that, I, I see it as an invitation because I know that the Holy Spirit is working with him because he responded that way. And so I was all excited. I said, I'm so glad that you're interested. I said... <laughs> 
Let me tell you, 915 Piner Road, service starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday. He said, and I quote, do not even get me started with organized religion. And here's what I said, and I quote, it's not about organized religion, sir. It's about Jesus Christ the Lord who died on a cross to save you from hell. His next words should surprise all of us here. And he said, I'm a good person. I help people in need. I compliment and encourage. He turned around and said, John, I love that shirt. And John said, thank you. And then he said, see? And I said, what a shame that that will not make up for a lifetime of sinning against God. And the conversation went south from there. (laughs) I said to him in the course of the conversation, look, you know what? It's not about being good because we're all bad. Uh, It's about being made alive. God has to come in John chapter 20, verse 27. Jesus breathes on his disciples. He makes us alive by his breath. If you come to him, you open your heart. He, he blows and there's life and there's fire. You're regenerated. The generator comes on. The pilot light's good. And when the body fails, that born of God from above cannot be blown out. Neither height nor depth nor angels, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, neither demons, nothing. And all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? That seed, that life, however you want to call it, is indestructible. It's God himself. Now you share the characteristics and nature of God. His eternal quality has been given to you. Not about being good enough. You know that song, you know, the little kids sing, you can't get to heaven, you know, on roller skates. Oh, you can't get to heaven because you'll roll right by the pearly gates. You know that song? No? Oh, yeah. How does it go, Barb? Oh, you can't get to heaven. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> you missed your opportunity. How about this? You can't, okay, because a rocking chair, it's the next verse, won't take you there. And then it says in a limousine, you can't get there in a limousine because the Lord don't sell no gasoline. I didn't like that one. And then you can't get there in a motor car because a motor car won't go that far. And they sing this song. And so I wanted to tell him this one. I said, you can't get to heaven on your good work because many times you've been a jerk. (laughs) I made it up. God said, here's the ticket in. Perfection, moral perfection, not one sin. One sin, you're out. You perish. I will live the perfect life for you. I will die and pay all of your wretched sins. And then the swap will happen. Those are your only two choices. Biblically. 
you pay or he pays. It's pretty simple. And in this deal, humble yourself and let the other guy pay. Sometimes that's the thing that stops you. You know, it's just the pride. You know, you kind of play the game like, oh, I'll pay. Oh, you pay. You, oh, yeah. Who's going to pay? You know what? Let the other guy pay in this situation. Then finally, I just want to say they're excited about this, but they're probably thinking Peter thinks that my word, we might not make it. Nero's throwing us into the Colosseums, the gladiators, the lions. They would take Christians and burn them alive as torches in Nero's gardens. So Peter says, oh, don't worry. You have been kept by God's power. He says, it's not something that you have to worry about. Christ Jesus will keep you in this life. He will give you the power kept in heaven for you, this inheritance, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. And so they're thinking, am I going to cave? Maybe I'm not going to make it. That's a lot of pressure. To have somebody say, unless you deny Jesus Christ, we're going to take your life or your family. And so he says, listen, this is an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. So what that means is is that the Lord has already roped off a section that belongs to you. That's your place. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. You have a place already, he said. And in the Greek, it means not only is there a place waiting for you in heaven as an heir to heaven, but the Greek says he will enable you to get there. So there is a place already for you, reserved, and he will help you to get there. But what I really love about the verse is where it says, through faith you are shielded by God's power until that day comes in its fullness. Here's what the word means. It's fru-reo in the Greek, shielded. Through your trusting in God, he says, don't worry, you are shielded in a military sense, a barricading of a city. It means to keep, be safe from the world's influence and from temptation and from Nero's demands and the devil's flaming arrows and all of that. He says, your faith will activate God's power to shield you from all of this. And you will, through your trusting in God, you will make it through AD 64 and 65 and 66 and all the horrors to come, you will stand strong if you trust in God because you'll be shielded by God's strength. But the best part of that word means also to be kept from escaping. Shielded by God's power, the word shielded means to keep you from escaping. In other words, they're afraid I'm going to deny you through this pressure. I'm not going to make it. My neighbor got hauled off. We heard he's in the gardens. I'm not going to make this. I'm going to deny. I'm not going to. I can't. I can't. I can't be martyred. I'll lie. I'll denounce you. The word means not only will you be protected from outward onslaught, but you will be protected from escaping inwardly 
from faltering to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless and blameless before the throne to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the 24th verse of Jude. This is the idea here. But it means to stop somebody from getting out of the city. And so even Peter tried. But Christians, true Christians, though you can really do some damage in the hand of God, he says, nobody can pluck you from my hand and you can't escape from my hand because I don't let go. That's the point. But you're saying, well, I know a lot of people have really messed up their lives. A, how do you know if they were even saved to begin with? Were they even in the hand to begin with? B, God's chastisement and his will to allow you to reap what you've sowed really could go quite a ways, but you're still in the hand. The righteous person falls seven times, but because they are shielded by God's power, they are kept from sabotaging themselves by caving in as they trust in him. He says, through faith are shielded, protected outwardly and strengthened inwardly so that in that day you will stand. You will not feel like you will stand in that day. It doesn't matter. But when you find yourself in that day, the Bible says through your trust in God, you'll be shielded by his great power on the outside and on the inside. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for this new and living hope that we have. We thank you, Lord, for all your wonderful blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.
will no doubt see many on that day who lost their lives but began eternal life on September 11th because they were ready. That's the most important lesson. In a twinkling of an eye, it's over and you have to stand before God and give an account. And many Christians on that day, they lived well and they died well. That's the most important thing because their pilot light was on. And when all the lights went off in that building and no one could see anything, they had the light of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the light of the world. Any man being in me, believe in me, should not stumble in darkness, but have the light of life. So this morning, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'd like to always give an altar call and allow somebody who has never trusted in Christ to do so. So nobody's looking around. I'm just going to say, if you've never asked God to forgive your sins, you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you'd like to do that, you can slip your hand up high, and we'll all say the sinner's prayer together. You believe in your heart, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. So if there's anybody here who'd like to become a Christian this morning, you just slip your hand up nice and high, and we'll acknowledge that. We have a pastor in overflow so also looking around. So I just want to give you one more opportunity because in my heart, I just feel like there's somebody here who needs to respond. And uh, I'll just throw it out one more time. There's a heaven, there's a hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God gives you the choice this morning to repent of your sins, to humble yourself, to open your heart and say, I'm a sinner, I need God's help. I want that blood applied to my account. If you'd like to open your heart and receive him, then just slip up your your hand. If you're too shy to do that, you can just open your eyes and look at me. All right, praise God. There are a lot of, there's several responses there. I was looking somewhere else at the moment. So, Father, for these who have acknowledged that they have a need for you, they want to have the pilot light turned on, we're going to say this prayer. I pray that you let them know today that they're saved and filled with your spirit. Let's repeat this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need your help. I want to belong to you. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who came to earth to die for my sins. I accept that. I receive him as my Lord. I repent of my pride. And I repent of all my sins. Light the light in my heart that I might live forever with you. In Jesus' name, I commit myself to you. Amen.
Now, Father, we pray for the rest of us that you, your good spirit would guide over us, protect us. Thank you for these new folks who are entering your kingdom. Help us to get them the support that they need. Bless them with your protection. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you did raise your hand or look my way, we have Bibles for you and a little literature to get you pointed in the right direction. And folks, there's always prayer at the cross. If you need some prayer, new Christian or no, just go over and seek some prayer over by the cross. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.